Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, December 19th, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler discussion for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and we're going to share our interviews with the directors and producers of the film. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Senior Writer, Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? Okay, I think we've talked about this movie at great length on the water cooler, past episodes of the water cooler, and the the slash film cast has a great uh, in depth review. Um, so I don't think we need to review this film, but I think it it's very clear that all three of us love this movie. Um, so before we actually get to spoilers, I wanted to ask you guys because I really think. This movie should get some recognition outside of the best uh, animated feature category of like all these you know awards coming up, like the Academy Awards. Uh, but do you think it does deserve more than that? And do you think it will? Do you think there's any chance that the Academy or any of like I mean I know the Utah Critics Association actually named this film best uh, picture of the year. Uh, do, do you think we'll see any more of that? Uh, let's start with you, Brad. Uh, I feel like it might be a little late in the game for the movie to get any Oscar buzz as far as the general best picture category is concerned. Um, uh, it's one of those movies where I, I don't think that they were really making a big push to get in that category. And since there's so much politics and campaigning in the Oscars, I feel like that's going to be difficult for the movie uh, to do. I um, I do feel like that they have a very good chance at getting the best the best animated feature Oscar over Incredibles 2, which was already the the favorite to win. But, you know, I, w- I would love to see it get more awards accolades. I feel like it's unlikely that it'll get um, the kind of high honor that it got from the Utah Film Critics Circle. But this is a movie that really does deserve, you know, that level of praise. You know, it's it sounds weird, but you, if you think about what this movie accomplishes, you know, it, it makes a genre that is very uh, oversaturated feel really refreshing again. It does so with a story that has uh, an interesting array of diverse characters. It has a, a, an incredible message about, you know, being a hero and what it what it means, but also tying that to, you know, real world uh, society and culture and, and struggles and problems. And the animation itself is something that is groundbreaking and innovative. They, you know, they had to invent new technology to do some of the things that they wanted to do with this animation, you know? So it, it literally is innovative what they did with this movie. Uh, on top of that, you know, the, the storytelling itself is something that's uh, original and unique. It's an approach to a superhero story and a comic book story that we haven't seen in this form before. You know, most animated superhero fare has been relegated to DVD shelves. And the quality that's on display here, uh, you know, is something that is truly, you know, awe-inspiring and, and visually stunning. So I feel like counting it out isn't, necess- isn't something that people should be doing, but I think thinking that it has a chance of getting a Best Picture nomination is probably shooting for the moon. Yeah. Uh, um, w- one of the other things is the Oscar in the past, or the Academy in the past, has kind of gotten things wrong. Like, uh, there's some people that think that this won't even win Best Picture. 
Uh, Penn, what do you think? Like best animated? Really? Yeah, or, yeah, best animated. Sorry. Yeah, that's the thing is like uh, I, I hope it does with all of my heart because I honestly feel like it's the best animated movie that I've seen this year. And, uh, you know, looking back at the Academy's history, only three movies, three animated films have ever been nominated for best picture. And that's Beauty and the Beast in 1991, Up in 2009 and Toy Story 3 in 2010. And I just I'm not sure that this movie came out early enough to be able to hit a wide enough number of potential Oscar voters to get the recognition that it's, that it deserves. I would love to see uh, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse get a, like a best original screenplay or, or, or I don't know if it would be original, but uh, adapted screenplay adapted. maybe um, a nomination in that category, because that would be amazing. I feel like that's, I mean, in addition to all the stuff that Brad said, which I obviously 100% agree with, I think the script is like it does so much heavy lifting uh, in terms of exposition and and uh, character building and world building and all of this stuff. And in such a breezy, fun way that um, and it's so accessible too. I mean, it's dealing with like parallel dimensions and like some pretty heavy sci fi concepts, but it does so in such a, a really um, fun, easy to understand way. And, and that's, it makes it look easy. And that kind of stuff is really, really <laughs> not easy to get across in a screenplay in a way like that, that this movie did. So I, I would love to see it get all sorts of nominations, but I just, I'm not sure. And, and you know, obviously the, the Oscar voting body has traditionally been viewed as like this group of old white guys, basically. And I know that, you know, in recent years, that's been changing a little bit, but we're still not 100% sure of what exactly that voting body looks like. There's a lot of mystery there. We don't know if, you know, if people are actually going to get around to watching this movie or not. So I don't know. There, there's still a lot of questions. Yeah, I think a, a lot of what we, you both said is is exactly correct. Um, the Critics Association that I'm a part of the Los Angeles online film critic circle uh, is um, I tried to get them. I, I pushed to get this considered for best picture, but even that group was vote. We voted the first week of December and there had been some press screenings of this film before our voting, but like not everybody could see it. And I, I imagine the Academy, which is made up of, you know, people in the industry that are actually working every day on film sets and do you know what I mean? On, on their own movies, like th this film has been out, you know, a mere weeks before they, they, you know, vote and stuff. I don't know. I, and I also think that they, like, unless a film is a Pixar film nowadays, I feel like, you know, it's not, "Quote unquote serious enough of a story to for them to consider for best picture, which is sad, because I feel like, and uh, <laughs> I know uh, Brad Bird says this all the time, but animation isn't a genre. Animation isn't for kids. It's it's a medium, and uh, this film, I I really think, you know, I I know I've only seen sixty films this year, which is a lot less than I normally see, but." Uh, of those 60 films, this is by far the best film I've seen. I, I look at my list of the films I've seen, and th this is the only film in my top 10 that I, I could see myself rewatching on a yearly basis 10 years from now. And I'm not saying that that makes a film the best film. But, um, you know, there are some good films. Just, you know, I, I really liked Roma, but I'm not sure I'm ever going to revisit that again. So, I mean, uh, it's, it's kind of like that. Um, but and in it, terms of the Pixar thing, too, uh, Lord and Miller, who are responsible or at least largely responsible for this movie, uh, they have some familiarity with that concept, too, because the Lego movie was basically shut out of Oscar nominations a yeah. few years ago when that came out. And it's uh, it, it might be a similar thing here. Yeah. Uh, well, anyways, we should get to actual spoilers so if you have not seen the movie, uh, we're going to start talking about plot points and stuff. Um, I, we highly recommend you go see this movie. So I know I know some people, I, I hear from listeners that when we have these spoiler episodes, that they actually listen to them without seeing the movie. And that like breaks my heart, even though I don't care about spoilers. <laughs> um, but please, go see this movie. And if you haven't seen it, turn it off. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about some stuff. Uh, actually, before quickly before spoilers... Uh, Brad, you're the only one here who saw this film in 3D, and I saw uh, either Lord or Miller on Twitter 
uh, basically hyping up the 3D experience, something that they usually aren't excited about. So how is the experience of this movie in 3D? Because this movie is so visceral and so insane that I can't even imagine what kind of what it's going to be like in 3D. I might actually go see it a fourth time in 3D if you say it's worth it. Yeah, it's it's very cool to see in 3D. Um, it's it's not you know I, I wouldn't say that it's a, a mind blowing experience or anything like that, but uh, it does add uh, a lot of uh, depth and richness to the the visuals that you see on screen simply because of the animation style itself uh, and the way you know it presents the setting and just the, the way the camera moves you know through scenes and things like that too. Uh, the 3D definitely heightens it. It adds adds to it and really makes the animation pop a lot more than. Uh, most 3d uh, movies would nowadays so i mean any animated movie is usually good to see in 3d but this one in particular uh it's it's really something cool to see on the big screen it is weird i feel like years ago i I would tell people that i would say like you know if it's a 3d if it's a cg animated movie go see it in 3d and i feel like that's not a nest like that isn't 100 percent nowadays i feel like even you know, DreamWorks was doing it pretty heavily. They were doing, you know, big into the 3D game. And uh, I feel like the filmmakers are less, like, excited about 3D. So the 3D renders, even though it's rendered from a, an actual 3D, you know, virtual product in the computer, I'm not that impressed with the 3D animated films these days. But so, so how would you compare it to the typical 3D animated films these days? Like, is it on that bar or a little bit better? Well, kind of like I said, I think what makes this a little bit more unique is simply how it's shot and the animation yeah. style itself, you know, because especially with the way they use depth of field and how they, they mess with like what you're meant to focus on as far as like, you know, making the background look a little bit blurry, not, not just in a way where like it looks like a camera's out of focus, but in a way that um, it looks like you're looking at a, a 3D image without 3D glasses sometimes. Um, and so it's, it's just a, it's a different approach. And so it's not just as simple as seeing a 3d modeled animated environment in 3d. It's just, it's seeing this, this particular style of animation in 3d just adds this, this layer of richness to, to the images. That, that final action scene in this movie is so insane. I can't even imagine, this is one of the few animated movies that I can't imagine like, if they had the budget to make a live action version of this, what that live action version would even look like. Like, I don't even think it's possible. That sequence in particular is pretty cool in 3d, especially, um, Oh, I won't get get into necessarily why, but the way the environment, uh, and things move around in that scene is, is particularly cool in 3d. Well, we can talk spoilers now. Um, but I, I, I do want to rush this along because we do have a lot of interview to play to you guys. And, um, let's talk about the ending scene. Uh, or actually, before the credits, the the actual ending scene, while Miles Morales is uh, in bed uh, singing to himself, and it seems like a portal opens up in his ceiling, and uh, Spider Gwen or Spider Woman um, kind of appears to him, or we hear her voice. Um, I've seen this movie three times, and I'm still not clear if this is is this him because he's in bed and he's kind of like he could be taking a nap. Is that him daydreaming of talking to Gwen or is that actually her coming back through the interdimensional portals? So um, I, oh, oh, sorry. go ahead, go ahead. No, no, you know, you got it. You got it. I was just going to say, I, I listened to a, uh, a spoiler interview podcast with, um, with Lord and Miller. Uh, we have our own coming up here in just a few minutes, but uh, they did a different one with the inter- the uh, empire podcast. And they mentioned on that, that, uh, that particular scene is meant to take place a little bit forward in time. They didn't establish exactly when, but it's not like that same day Miles comes home and this happens. It's meant because it takes place right after a montage at the very end of the movie. They were able to position it in a way where they gave themselves some wiggle room as far as the timeline. But that is something that actually does happen. And it's so it's not a, it's not a daydream or anything like that. Um, and it, it, it does happen a little bit into Miles's, uh, uh, you know, um, career tenure, as, yeah. as Spider-Man. Yeah, exactly. So maybe this could be, you know, part of the inciting incident of the the Spider-Gwen or Spider-Woman. Do we know what they're calling it? It, I don't think they've actually given it a given full it name, right, Brad? 
the the sequel you're talking about? No, well, they have a Spider Woman spinoff of some sorts, right? Oh, like, yeah, yeah. I don't think it has a name or anything. And they just said that what the sequels will involve uh, the characters that they'll involve. Yeah, I'm wondering if she's going to have to get him to come to her dimension to help her out with stuff, and that kind of actually bothers me because after seeing this film. I kind of want to see solo films of these characters and not have crossovers in those films. And then maybe like in the third film, have them get back together in interesting ways. Like, I, I want to know what you guys think. Like, should like this Spider-Woman uh, spinoff film, should it have Miles in it? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it's like, I think that's what's cool about this is the, the, the interconnectedness that of these characters and how you can use them together. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't think that you have to have a movie solely focus on just one of the characters without having another one come in, you know, simply because you look at this, this story is definitely Miles Morales' story and like his origin story of how he becomes Spider-Man. But having those other characters in it doesn't take away from that at all. If anything, it's, it's, you know, that's the key to what, you know, helps him become what he's supposed to be. And you know, I, I think that having, uh, Spider Gwen and Miles be in a movie together for the next part is would would really be uh, a good idea. I was gonna say I I thought maybe this could be used as like the opening scene of the official sequel to Into the Spider Verse, and maybe the spinoffs could take place sort of off in their own dimensions, and maybe like uh, based on and maybe this is a good way to transition into the post credit scene. Maybe what happens there could have some effect on the uh the multiverse as a whole so maybe it gets locked up for example and like the barriers are closed and they can't go get help from you know their their spider friends and they have to take care of their problems themselves and then maybe it opens back up and then uh the sequel takes place you know when when they're able to sort of traverse the dimensions again it kind of annoys me that these like wormholes are still open like i feel like they should be closed with the i don't think I don't, I don't, I don't think the way that Gwen comes back is because wormholes are still open. If anything, especially since Lord and Miller said time has passed since then, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if Gwen figured out just how to reopen them because she's obviously smart in the same way that uh, you know Peter Parker is, and so I, I think she probably figured out a way to just reopen it instead. I do think it'll be interesting when uh, when Miles Morales probably will meet up with Gwen, right? In his timeline, because she exists in there, or she's going to probably move there, or, or, or whatever. No, actually, she, she exists somewhere in New York, right? Um, it'll be interesting for him to have different relationships with the same woman from different different alternate uh, dimension, uh, realities. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it could be cool. Um, okay, let's um, let's talk about the credit scene that you, you mentioned um, I think in my screening, a lot of people, like half the crowd kind of, you know, when, when it revealed who that was, got it. And the other half was kind of uh, not understanding. It was kind of like the reaction that the, the the original credit scene for Avengers, where Thanos first appeared, got. Where, you know, fans loved it. And the other half the crowd was like, what is going on here? So, Brad, you wrote a whole article explaining what was going on there. Yeah, so this character is actually Woody Harrelson as Carnage. <laughs> <laughs> with a with a horrible wig. <laughs> no, so um yeah, like so as the the credit scene plays out, the 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 giveaway for a lot of most of the hardcore Star Wars uh, Star Wars fans, Spider-Man fans is that it says meanwhile in Nueva York, which is specifically uh the setting for uh Spider-Man 2099, which is another iteration of Spider-Man that exists in the year 2099. Uh, in the future, this where is kind of are... like uh, the Batman Beyond of Spider-Man comics. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so um, it takes place uh, in in the future, and there is a a different Spider-Man named Miguel O'Hara, uh, and he has a completely different origin than than Peter Parker does. Um, he it's it does share some similarities, um, but in, instead of there being an Oscorp that is working on uh, experiments, it's a company called the Alchemax Corporation. Um, which is interesting because that's the company that is already at the center of the Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse story anyway. They're the ones that uh, are working on the uh, particle collider that Kingpin is trying to use to merge dimensions. So uh, his origin basically is that he, uh, Miguel discovers that the company has been uh, killing people in experiments, and so he's trying to expose it, but then he gets found out. 
he gets um, tricked into taking a highly addictive drug so that he won't leave the company. He tries to cure himself by rewriting his own genetic code, but he ends up getting sabotaged by a co-worker, and it results in him receiving spider DNA, uh, about 50% spider DNA, and he becomes the, the future's version of Spider-Man. And uh, he has a, a little bit of a different suit, as you can see in the in the movie. It's blue with a lot more prominent red, uh, a spider symbol that kind of looks like it has a skull in the middle of it. His face mask looks a little bit more like a luchador mask. Um, so it's, uh, it's an interesting Spider-Man story. Spider-Man 2099 is a cool character, and he's voiced by Oscar Isaac in that credit scene. So this is clearly something that they are, would likely want to do something with in the future as far as a character is concerned. And the character himself does provide sort of an, an interesting way to uh, continue the narrative into the Spider-Verse and keep the idea of parallel dimensions and uh, crossover dimensions alive because he also has um, uh, a device that's kind of like this watch that allows him to hop into other dimensions. And that's what he uses uh, in the scene when he goes back to the 1967 animated uh, Spider-Man, where they have the they do the Spider-Man meme, where it's double Spider-Man pointing at each other. I love that ending and hate it at the same time, because I almost wanted it to be kind of this like serious cliffhanger of sorts, but it, it's hilarious um, that that meme. Um, where does that meme come from? It's, you know the well, origin. Well, the the Spider-Man uh, series itself, it's a real animated series that existed in 1967. And I don't know necessarily like when the first time it was used, but it's it's constantly been used uh, to when people are trying to say that you're the pot calling the kettle black. Um, so that's that's how it's used online. And it's been popping up a lot. But there, there are other memes referencing the animated Spider-Man as well. But that's that's probably the most famous one. Yeah, the one behind with him behind the desk. Um, it's used in the credits and in the movie. Yeah. Um, uh, let's talk about like really briefly about Easter eggs here. Um, obviously there's Stanley cameo. There's actually Stanley cameos. I guess he's, uh, the filmmakers just said that he's placed in the background of a lot of the crowd scenes. This third time when I was watching the film, I tried to look and I did not find any Stanley other than you know, the prominent Stanley cameo. Uh, but Ben, what what did you think of the Stanley cameo? Uh, that was really great, man. And especially, you know, it sort of they made this movie before he died, but it felt like a a nice tribute to him anyway. You know, it it, it just sort of like cosmically aligned that way, where it, it feels like the perfect Stanley send off. And I know he's going to appear in other like live action Marvel movies and stuff, but just um, in terms of like for audiences who are still maybe reeling from his death, uh, going into this movie and seeing the way that this film treats him as a character and, and how that cameo performance is really like the thing that, uh, that sort of puts a voice to the ideas that Lee was working on in the comics in the first place. Um, instead of just like, uh, you know, a one-liner gag or some joke where he's supposed to be Hugh Hefner or whatever yeah. um, it is really touching and it, it works really well. Um, in terms of Easter eggs, I didn't, I didn't, didn't really spot too many. I know Brad has a couple in his back pocket that he can talk about, but one that I that I know that uh, I read about somewhere was you were talking about Stanley appearing elsewhere in the movie, and there's a scene where uh, Miles and Peter are being dragged behind a like an elevated train and they land in a crosswalk and somebody steps over them in the street and apparently the the character that steps over them is stanley as well so maybe keep an eye out for that if you get a chance to go see the movie again oh wow um my last viewing of the film i saw a bunch of things in the background uh in new york city i saw a uh, a restaurant that had the name rammy on it I saw a building that had the 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 name Bendis uh, in, in in terms of uh, Brian Michael Bendis, the uh, co-creator of this character, and obviously Sam Raimi, the the guy that directed the the good Spider-Man movies before this. Or, <laughs> oh, uh, and also there's some um, numbers where when people are scrolling through their their cell phones, you can probably see. I'm guessing people have probably already noticed those, but like you know b bendis or um i think sarah pacelli is one of the other creators who was on that comic run um and you can see their names and initials or whatever in the in people's phones when they're scrolling through there was a there's also i think there was a restaurant i saw too called uh ramitas or something like that referencing 
uh, both John Romita Jr. and Sr. who have uh, worked on Spider-Man as well. Oh, cool. And, and there's also like all the like in this alternate reality because Miles Morales doesn't exist in our timeline, right? Or our dimension. He exists in a different dimension. There's like all these weird movies pictured in the background. Like there's one with like Seth Rogen. Um, I know you were talking about some earlier, Brad. Yeah, there's well, there's like there, it's they're either like some of them are alternate versions of movies that we know. Um, I, I forget what the title was, but there's uh, there's an alternate version of Bridesmaids that you can see advertised in the Times Square bulletin boards. There's actually several you can see um, when you're down in Times Square. There's a uh, Redman group. I remember seeing that. Yeah, there's Redman group. There's um, Edgar Wright pointed this out on Instagram. There's actually a um, a Shaun of the Dead, an al- an alternate Shaun of the Dead. Um, poster in the background that it's it seems like it would actually be um, a sequel because it shows Ed Nick Frost's character already in zombie mode so it, it might be that Shaun of the Dead actually exists in Miles Morales' universe but there's also a sequel that exists in that universe which makes me jealous of the universe <laughs> that Miles Morales lives in um, and then one of the other billboards there which is kind of a cool reference to uh, one of the cast members, as we know, John Mulaney voices uh, Spider-Ham in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. There's a billboard. Um, it's pretty close to actually where the, the Shaun of the Dead one is, which says from Dust Till Shaun. Um, it says, uh, uh, hi, hello. And it's a Broadway show. And that is, uh, in itself is a, a parody of John Mulaney and Nick Kroll's Oh, Hello Netflix special, uh, which features two characters that um, originated on the Kroll show. Uh, so that was a fun little reference that they put in there uh, just for for fun. Um, very cool. Uh, I think that probably does... actually, you know, I do want to talk briefly about, uh, you know, when I saw this movie, I was like, I want to see spinoff movies of all these characters. And when I said that, I really wasn't talking about Spider-Ham. <laughs> but it seems <laughs> like the Internet wants a Spider-Ham movie. And even uh, John Mulaney has an idea for the sequel. Uh, ben, I think you wrote about this on the site. I did, yeah. He um, he says that he, in, in comics, he never thought that the Clark Kents and the Peter Parkers leaned enough into their day jobs. So he has a sort of a pitch for a Spider-Ham solo movie. He says, Spider-Ham is a fun guy who is capable of great rage. To go see him back at the Daily Beagle, I could see a Watergate-like story at the Beagle where he's both a reporter and Spider-Ham by night. This would be more like The Post or All the President's Men or Spotlight, but we'd make it family-friendly. Lots of bacon jokes or that's ham-fisted. So that's his his pitch. I have no idea whether Sony is going to use that pitch or not. It sounds like he's just sort of spitballing there. Um But yeah, I don't know, Peter. I'm sort of right there with you. I feel like Spider-Ham in particular is a character who, as we saw in this movie, worked really, really well in small doses. And I'm not sure if giving him a full movie is the right move, at least at this point in the this nascent animated Spider-Man universe. But uh, hey, if um, it happens, we'll get a hand-drawn animated film on the big screen again. Yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, and and Amy Pascal and Avi Arad, who are producers, have both said recently in a, a big Vanity Fair article that they were interested because they, they said, of course, you can imagine how much the kids love that character. And Avi Arad said, yeah, we want Piggy. That's an exact quote from him, by the way. But, uh, uh... So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if if this is going to happen anytime soon, if they're going to use Mulaney's pitch, um, if he's going to be a writer on this. I mean, obviously he's, he's like a, an acclaimed writer himself. He wrote for the first Saturday night live for many years. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Brad, I know you're the, you're the comedy nerd on this podcast. Do you, are you even interested in a spider ham movie? Um, I mean, on some level, yeah, I, I do think that he's probably a better character who just pops in and out and appears and has a, a smaller role. But there's also a part of me that just loves the idea of an entire movie following this, you know, cartoonish version of Spider-Ham, especially because, you know, we don't really get, uh, I get like Looney Tunes as things anymore. And uh, Spider-Ham himself is very much a Looney Tunes tribute. And I, I feel like we could get a movie that's maybe something akin to like a, a Space Jam or a Looney Tunes back in action, not necessarily with the live action elements, but just having that Looney Tunes kind of humor back on the big screen again would be something that's cool. I think it's something that we don't get 
uh, often anymore, and it's a good way to uh, revive and also pay tribute to Looney Tunes. So, especially since there's the fan demand for it, I, I say see what they can do. If they can come up with a good script, why not give it a shot? And I, as somebody who loves John Mulaney, like I, I can always do with more things from him. See, I'm now picturing Spider-Ham in the live-action real world, and maybe that working like Roger Rabbit. <laughs> That would be cool, too. I would love to see that. <laughs> okay. We, we spent enough time talking about this movie. Is there anything you guys want to say that hasn't been said about this film? See it. Drag as many people as you can to see it. Drag your family I think, to see it. I, I think people have already seen seen it if they're at this part where we've I, spoiled. I don't care. Drag people to see it again. Drag new yeah. people to see it. Just, just get as many people to see it as possible. This movie should be huge. It should be getting so much more attention. Like, it was at the top of the box office, but it, you know... It made $35 million its opening weekend. That's not nearly as big as it should be for a movie like this. This is just – it should be huge. It should be big. This should be making would, Venom numbers. Yeah. I would just say if you have any Oscar voters in your life, make sure they sit down and watch this. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think we've said it all. Uh, so, Ben, we're going to play your interviews here with the, with the filmmakers. Uh, which one should we play first and can you set it up? Sure. I think uh, we should start with the directors first. So last month I sat down with Bob Perchetti, who directed The Little Prince, uh, Peter Ramsey, who directed Rise of the Guardians, and Rodney Rothman, who's the writer of 22 Jump Street. And all three of them co-directed this movie. And I talked to him about the technical reasons why this movie looks so incredible, uh, their sort of unique collaboration, because a lot of times... um, animation movies are not directed by three people so it's sort of a a rarity and uh a bunch of other stuff so here's that interview so for me and probably for a lot of our readers we instantly know that this movie is unlike anything that we've seen before but for me i've sort of been struggling to accurately describe the animation style of this movie so i'm just wondering can you guys pinpoint what you did specifically to give this movie such a special visual look (laughs) hired this man <laughs> um, no we I mean it, weirdly enough we try to we kind of struggle too trying to like simplify it but uh, it's it's um, at its core it's like we, we took the idea of um, traditional animation hand-drawn animation and sort of the the, the, the rules of that um, and and then took CGI animation and blended them together. I mean, that's like the super simple version of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and a little deeper in the weeds is that, you know, um, we had these these characters modeled based off of drawings. Um, and then once we did that, we realized some of the really expressive part of, of the um, designs were, were actually that was actually the line work. Um, and, and then we went in and, and figured out a way to draw line work on top of these characters three dimensionally. Um, and then that line work could accept light if it needed to or not. And, um, and then the final thing that makes it really feel a lot different is that, um, in CG, you know, there's 24 frames in a second of film and see in, in all, in all CGI right now, there's an image, a new image for every frame of movement. Um, and in traditional animation, hand-drawn animation, you only needed 12 drawings to fill it up because your eye can't catch that little, you know, that you can hold a drawing for two frames. If you hold it for three, your eye can kind of catch the, mm-hmm. the, 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 the <coughs> fact that it's being held. Right. And so we, we stripped out everything and we animated this on twos and they had to write a bunch of new algorithms and things to, to try and make up for sort of the lost simulations and all that stuff, like hair and cloth and, and um, things like that. But it really just makes it feel crunchy and crispy and and... And, yeah, and poppier, and you get really strong posing. And then the final little like reason why it's so crisp is that there's not one frame of motion blur anywhere in the movie, and that's in every movie now, even live action with CG VFX. They put motion blur on it just because it helps. It just helps soften it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were just looking for something that felt a little more punchy. Yeah, just that, that approach basically makes the compositions uh, stronger, or that's at least the goal. Um, I mean, another way we talk about it is that it's basically combining like like uh, CG animation, 2D, like hand-drawn animation, um, comic book uh, art, and, and street art, you know, mm-hmm. sort of into something that we're trying to, we're trying to combine into something that feels unified. For sure. So uh, the pacing of this movie is really incredible. I, I feel like it really flies, but you also get a really good sense of Miles' family life along mm-hmm. with all of the great action stuff. Can you guys talk about striking that balance? Yeah, that was like, that was job 
one, even beyond like finding a unique look, it was like, well, the look's not going to mean anything unless you know you're following the experience of the main character in a way that's going to carry you through the movie and keep you engaged from his particular point of view. I mean, especially when you're talking about you've got multiple universes, you got multiple Spider-Men. Mm-hmm. You know, the 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 real job was how do we how do we keep it Miles's story? You know, because for us. Uh, the charm of it and the heart of it was all about Miles, the triangle that he's in with his father and his uncle, and and the idea that his family experience really is kind of what makes him unique and different than uh, Peter Parker or the other iterations of Spider-Man we've seen. So how do we build out from there and keep everything that happens in his experience? Mm-hmm. Um, earlier this year, I was at a Q&A where Phil Lord described you guys, and I'm sort of paraphrasing here, but he basically called you guys the, the action guy, the comedy guy, and the poet. Uh, <laughs> did you each approach this project from, from that sort of angle? Uh, what was the collaboration like between you guys working on this movie? Um, that's, that's a tough one. No, I know. I mean, I was just going to say, I, the, the thing that was interesting is just that um, there's uh, this movie would it was three directors um this movie needed all three of us and this movie wouldn't exist in its form without all three of us so it was a really it's true a a special circumstance where where um each one of us you know we all have different skills um some skills overlap some don't but but really like we had a a creative collaboration that that Mm -hmm. really just gelled and and it was and we had no time really to to make it not work because we had to finish the movie and it was yeah. like and, and we were always sort of on the same page and, and if there were any creative differences we would work them out in editorial and and um and i think we just are we're really complementary to each other mm. yeah it's kind of like an exchange of skills along the way there is there is overlap though you know um yeah you know but it's like you know you know on the one hand you know i definitely brought more experience let's say with comedy you know into the collaboration but uh you know but but it's not like i could like point to stuff and say, and say to people oh you know this is funny don't worry about it you know it's like we know if something's funny or not <laughs> right know? um you know and, and i you know and, and, and i had something to offer you know um visually but sometimes i didn't necessarily have i certainly didn't have the same vocabulary to express it that these guys did and i certainly didn't have the same experience so a lot of times i would have to talk about what you know I thought it should feel like or look like, and then look at Bob or Peter and be like, now, how would I say that in a way that, like, you know, a genius animator can go off and, you know, anyway, so, mm-hmm. but, you know, but, you know, so, so I learned a lot, personally, I learned a lot in the process, you know, but I also, but I think all of us would say that there was, in the end, there was a real overlap in what yeah. we were doing, and that's the only way it could work. That's, I was going to yeah. say, it, the overlap between what we do is what made it work, because that, that brings in sensibility, it brings in taste, it brings in... You know, because, you know, I mean, you know, yeah, they like to think of me as the action guy because I've worked on a lot of action stuff, you know, back in my live action days. But some of the greatest action in this movie, Bob conceived, you know, I mean, it's like, it's just mind boggling. And, you know, poetry, Rodney brought tons and tons of that to to his scenes. I don't know what I did, but But we all like, I I look at the movie and it's like, I can really see all of our fingerprints on the... Like throughout, pop, like you know? there's, I think it's historically, like uh, for animated films, often there there's many, um, you know, there there are oftentimes directing teams, and oftentimes literally they break apart the film into sequences, and one director has mm-hmm. these, and another director has these, um, and it definitely yeah, was it wasn't not that. For okay, us. yeah, it wasn't that. Was there one scene that changed the most, <clears throat> excuse me, from conception to the final execution for you guys? One, a white whale or something? Was there one really... scene that didn't? Yeah. <laughs> that didn't really the question. I'm trying to think what would be like the emblematic scene. You know, um, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, just, just to talk about it, I would, I would yeah. throw out, like, there, basically any sequence in the movie could qualify yeah. for what you're talking about. Because <laughs> it's true. Because things change and iterate um, repeatedly for years mm-hmm. um, as you like kind of boil things down to mm-hmm. you know whatever the essence of what you're trying to do is um, one thing that does pop to mind is um, there's a scene where um, Peter and Miles right after they first meet where they're walking um, up and down buildings while they talk mm. you know that's an example 
of, of something that changed because you had a, a scene that was basically a what we, what we would call like a pipe scene. Like you know, it's a it's a scene that has to communicate yeah, expository, mm-hmm. expository yeah. plot. Um, and uh, and as it evolved, we started to try to think about well, how can we if we have to take our medicine with this scene, and we just have to, you know, how can we do that in a way that is very specific to us that only we can do? Mm-hmm. And what, in that case, what eventually evolved was a, a scene where. They're having an expository conversation, but they're doing it while they're, you know, walking up and down buildings, mm-hmm. you know, which Peter is very good at and Miles is not, which for us communicates story and character. Yeah, sure. yeah, exactly. And and then even after that, you know, even after that concept came into being, the, the scene continued to evolve exactly. as far as how we were shooting it and... Um, all, and you know, and even the stuff. yeah, and even the content of it, it was yeah. mm-hmm. it was really interesting for us over the preview process to just start to figure out what would stick, what people would remember, boil things down to their essence, and and that scene just kept getting tighter and tighter. Right. You know, fewer and fewer words. Right. But every scene, but honestly, every scene in the movie, uh, there's there's, the there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, we threw a lot of things out of the car as we drove. Let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> I think the scene that changed the least was probably the cemetery scene. That's true. Yeah, that's like Absolutely if you want the right. if you <laughs> if you want Absolutely the counter right. to that, it's yeah. that's the one that was the first scene animated and more or less a couple lines shifted here and there, but more or less that was. But left. in a way, you could say it changed the most because that was the first sequence where we really got all of our visual tools yes. and storytelling tools sort of figured out. That that first sequence became like the workshop, and then after that, we we're like, oh. We can actually make this movie. We know how to do this now. Was there a lot of trial and error in finding the look of the movie? That took the first, what, year and a half? Yeah. Really? Wow. Yeah, because it was, we, you know, uh, there was a, everybody knew, okay, we want to make this like something you've never seen before. It's, you know, introducing a new Spider-Man after we've seen a lot of iterations of the character. Mm -hmm. Um, We want to do something that, since we're, since, since this is an animated movie, Let's uh, truly lean into what animation can give us visually in terms of being able to evoke the look and feel of a comic book. Mm-hmm. How do we do that? How different can we make it? And Bob started having ideas. Oh, we can do it on twos, and we can, you know, how to approach the animation. And then visually, the challenge was how do we create uh, a style that will support emotionality and character, but still be something really different and something that technically takes from the world of graphic uh, the graphic style of comic books mm-hmm. yeah, you should talk about just like the technical yeah I, I mean even just uh, tell me what I should talk about because but I was going to go to the even the idea of just um, you know we really visually this movie is obviously incredibly stylized you know it has it's a real strong language behind it um, the, the, the thing that we were always searching for though what in our performances was like a naturalism yeah. so it was it was finding the balance of like how do we get a character to be as stylized as we've chosen to try and make these these characters, but also in their animation and and you know we had great vocal performances from mm-hmm. our whole cast and like how do we get their their acting performances right. to feel as naturalistic as the vocal performances? Mm-hmm. Um, and were you guys locked in with the release date when you came on yes, to the yes. so? Do you think that that I, I guess in in different circumstances, let's say in a perfect world where you didn't have that release date to hit, do you think the movie would look <clears throat> more advanced? Or something? I mean, I I love the movie the way it looks right now, but I'm just wondering. I don't know. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know that it would look different. Yeah, it would probably have been a little bit easier to get to the fine. Like like in the end, we would have found a a, a cleaner procedure for yeah. the process mm-hmm. because even still to the very end, you know, since this was the first time ImageWorks has ever done anything like this, right. and and anyone really has. Um, we were learning along the way, all the way until like last week. Yeah, you know. <laughs> wow. Yeah, the movie's a kind of funny combination of stuff that's hyper considered, and that hundreds of really, you know, hundreds of, of their, the talented people spend a long time trying to figure out how to do. And then I wouldn't go as far as I, was, I wanted to say. I want to say almost like Jackson Pollock style, just like yeah. you know, just like in the moment. You know, again, you know, people who really know what they're doing, just kind of like throwing some stuff down. You mm-hmm. know, some some parts of the movie are created more from that spirit. Yeah, and this I feel like it has to be for me, and for probably for a lot of people, is going to be like the best Spider-Man story that has been told on film so far. And that's like wow. a pretty high bar to that's live a up very to. High bar. Um, <laughs> are you guys 
I'm sure you've seen the reactions probably at this point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Are you, how do you? How are you feeling in this? Are you in sort of a, a glow at this point? It's, like what's it's the... more than a glow, man. It's like <laughs> surreal. I, I because literally, what? Just a few days ago, we. I mean, just like a day ago. Next stage. What day <laughs> yeah. is today? It is. Thursday. Yeah. Sunday. I mean, so Sunday. Sunday. Yeah. I was on the mixed stage Sunday to like one in the morning. Wow. Like, yeah. I, it's I to me it's like wait a minute we finished. <laughs> I still haven't even had had that. It's like the baby is like graduating from college and I've, I've <laughs> it's, it's yeah. just crazy. <laughs> it's really crazy. So I think I have two questions left. One, have you guys played the Spider-Man video game that came out this year? The the PlayStation one. I'm I sure. Have you had any did. time to do yeah. anything yeah, like that? Like messing around between takes? There is, there and if is we did no have time, time off, man. And if we did have time off, I don't think Spider-Man would be. Yeah. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I was just curious. It's, it's, that's another really great... Who can really I pretend great. to be? No, 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 the funny thing is, like, on our whole sort of tour, like, in Europe, everybody's so excited about that. And and we're like, yeah, I don't know. You know, I don't, I You'll get to it yet. in five years or right. something. It's once supposed to be great. You know? Yeah, yeah it's, it's, awesome. it's fantastic. Um, and then finally, I just wonder if, if each of you could just talk about your relationship with Spider-Man and why this story felt like it was a, a thing that you wanted to be a part of at this point. Sure, man. I mean, I think um, I was saying this, I think, the other day. It's just like I can't even remember when he, you know, the idea of Spider-Man where I first um, was introduced to it. My childhood, he was afternoon reruns, you know, the, the obviously like the, the 67 cartoon and all of that, um, you know, but for me, when I first started on this, this movie, I had, um, I had to do like my, the first day I had to do a, um, like a presentation to the studio. And I literally was like, I had got hired. I was first day was like a Thursday. It was like, oh, tomorrow you're going to um, get up in front of the studio and just talk about Spider-Man. And I was like. Dude, I just started. <laughs> and so uh, it was really, um, I had a little clip where I was in Brooklyn one year with my godson, who at the time was four, and we were eating um, at the diner under that bridge right yeah. there. And um, my friend said, hey, man, I got like a Spider-Man costume. And Finn, mm. Finn thinks that Spider-Man's here somewhere. Like, you want to put it on? And I was like, yeah, I do. <laughs> and I put it on and I went around, I hid around, down the street and I came running by and I found him and I was asking him, you know, um, to help me yeah. defeat um, Doc Ock. And, uh, and he filmed the whole thing. Like, for me, that was like, that was the impetus of this was like the look in his eyes because he was really seeing like a mm -hmm. real superhero. Mm -hmm. It was just like, oh, that's, if we can get that at, from like a $15 um, costume, mm -hmm. then what could we do with a, with a big expensive Hollywood movie? Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. Wow. Um, I've been a comics, as a kid I was a huge, huge uh, Marvel Comics man. Uh, grew up seeing the Spider-Man, the, the old 60s Spider-Man cartoons mm -hmm. when I was tiny, tiny. And uh, uh, I think the first comic book I ever bought with my own money was an issue of, uh, of Spider-Man. I think it was Spider-Man vs. the Molten Man. Nice. And I wrote my name in it on the first page in little cursive letters and and uh, I've all I've always loved the character. I've uh, he's always been you know he's funny and he's got tons of problems and he's 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 like the Charlie Brown of superheroes. <laughs> you know your heart just goes out to him. And then you know by the time this project came around, you know I've, of course totally jaded about any Spider Man or whatever superhero movies. But uh, the fact that uh, uh, Phil and Chris were involved mm -hmm. and then I heard Bob was involved and we know each other from DreamWorks and I know how brilliant this dude is and it was like oh my god this is going to be incredible then I heard it was the Miles Morales story and of course the opportunity to be able to like introduce that character to the world and to like for you know for uh, uh, for kids kids of color to be able to see a kid like that going on an adventure like this it was just like that just that possibility completely blew me away, and when I watch the movie, I see some of these sequences, and I go, "God, if I could have seen this movie when I was a kid." Yeah. Yeah. I you know, for me, like I mean, I, I grew up when I was a little kid in Queens in Forest Hills, you know, so like, which is where Peter Parker's from. So you know, I, even when I watch like the Raimi movies, you know, I see Tobey Maguire walking by like the Baskin Robbins I went to when I was four. You know, like he filmed it like in like around the corner from where I grew up. Um, so I've always had like a 
personal, you know, I basically thought I was Peter Parker. Um, but beyond that, you know, the one thing your question made me say beyond that, you know, made me think of is, um, you know, the, the additional thing that kind of got me really excited with this movie beyond even Spider-Man was when, when I just, honestly, when I just started to get, talk to the people involved, these guys, Justin Thompson, who's the production designer, oh, yeah. obviously Phil and Chris. Got to shout out, Justin. Yeah, and, and, and when I started to get a sense of what the spirit behind the movie was, as far as um, what it was trying to say, and also, you know, how kind of, like, just gonzo the spirit behind it was, you know, I, you know, I'd been searching for an experience like that for a long time, so, you know, it's so my big hope with this movie, you know, my big fingers crossed hope is that it does well enough that, that not just, like, more Spider-Verse movies can be made, but that, you know, it will, that, you know, more interesting animated you know that you know that it will sort of open up different uh possibilities in animation and and that more you know people can have the experience that i just had basically awesome well thanks a lot you guys i, I really appreciate it thank and you. congratulations thank again you, this movie is amazing thank you. so that was my discussion with the directors and that same day i actually had a chance to sit down with phil lord and chris miller the guys who brought us the lego movie and claudia with a chance of meatballs and they uh, are both credited as producers on this movie. Lord is credited with the screenplay, but it turns out that Chris Miller actually helped out quite a bit in that regard, too. I talked to them about that, uh, which characters appeared in earlier drafts of this movie, how they decided which spider people were going to make it into the final cut, finding the right actors to voice the movie's characters, and much more. So here is our conversation with Phil Lord and Chris Miller. I'm sorry to eat this hey. burrito at the start of this. You gotta do what you gotta do. I will do. answer the first question. But then we fine. Phil has his mouth full. No we'll problem. We'll deduct well, this from your time. I actually do. My first question is for you. But first Sweet. of all, congratulations nice. on this movie, guys. This is so incredible. Thank you so much, I, I loved it so much. Um, so my first question is, you guys typically write together. So, Chris, the first question is, why do you hate Spider-Man? <laughs> <laughs> so I so do not hate Spider-Man. <laughs> um, it was uh, a situation where we were really busy with a lot of things and it was a bit of a divide and conquer situation but uh, uh, I was heavily involved uh, Chris was a in, big part of this in the, uh, from the, the genesis of it uh, and uh, developing the story and contributing to the script as well but I uh, you know we were we have uh, a lot a of lot things going on, going on. Yeah, <laughs> for sure um, how did you guys decide which spider people were going to be in this movie? There are tons of options, and how did you narrow that down? We just wanted to have them be as different from each other as we possibly could, and we did. You know, we we did um, include all characters that we loved already. Mm -hmm. So we were we love Ham from growing up, <laughs> and uh, and and Spider Gwen is like this. You know, was such a cool uh, new addition to the Marvel Universe and, and uh, the book is so great so that was obvious mm -hmm. um, and uh, I mean at the end of the day it, it started it all started with Miles the, the whole uh, thing that got us excited about doing this movie in the first place was to tell Miles Morales story mm -hmm. and then um, the idea of taking an older version of Peter Parker that you haven't seen before like the kind that we grew up with that then now has aged as we have mm -hmm. And having him have to be a mentor—that's the, the, the sort of the main spider dynamic uh, in in the movie. Um, and, yeah, this yeah. started as a Miles movie, and then we got a little carried away. <laughs> Pretty much, and then when we got to the when we got to the rest of the third Greek chorus after Miles, Peter, and Gwen, it became about which characters would feel the most different and have the like complete different animation styles mm -hmm. and and looks and and points of view on the universe. That we could like have everybody um, feel as different as possible uh, on the screen together, and then say something universal about what it means to be a hero. That's great. Uh, what were there any other familiar characters that were in earlier drafts but maybe didn't make it into the final cut? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell me who that's um, why? I'm trying to remember. It's been there's been so been many so drafts of this film. Very, these were the. These were the ones that we were all gravitating towards, and at certain various times, we we tried to to bring in another one or another one, but ultimately, you this, know who really didn't make it, the cut that yeah. I, it's a pretty big regret of mine. Australian Spider-Man. Australian Spider-Man. <laughs> There's a bunch of there are a bunch of ones that we that we consider at a certain point, but this ended up being as much as this movie could hold mm -hmm. and still be 
a Miles Morales. Movie. But there was a point when, like, in this draft, where like just Spider People just kept showing up and just like being there. Oh, like, sorry guys, I'm late. <laughs> and then Australian Spider Man showed up at one point and was and immediately died. killed. Yes. <laughs> um, but uh, yes, thank thankfully that for, <laughs> uh, was lost to time. Yeah. So, how much of this movie's unique visual style did you envision in the early days of coming up with the story? Our first call was to our production designer, Justin Thompson. It was like, do you think we could pull this off? Would you be down to be involved? Is what ultimately ended up on screen close to what you guys had in your head? or did, I, mean, I, imagine I mean, it's more, it's even more it's weirder. than we, we thought was possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, the idea was sort of, you know, you always see this amazing um, art of books that have all these like very stylistic, um, impressionistic paintings that are so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they go through a pipeline and become uh, a CG movie that looks similar to other CG movies. And we're like, well, why can't we make it look like the actual concept art, but actually like the concept art? And drawing on all the many years of comics and the various different artist styles of, of comic books, uh, try and make it look like you're walking into a living, breathing comic book. And to everyone's credit at Sony, uh, they all were like, yeah, let's do it. And they, they would say, you know, this is really hard, and, 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 and it's not going to be easy, and I'm not even sure we can accomplish it, but let's try. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we weren't even sure, even a year ago, if we were going to be able to pull it off, because, you know, there was so much new uh, groundbreaking technology that had to be made to, to make this movie, and just so many, uh, so much labor, because not only is it a CG movie, but it's also a handmade, hand-drawn, and hand-painted movie, so it's end up being four times the work of of, uh, of a regular movie. We, it took four times as long just to produce a frame yeah. as, a, as a, a regular CG movie. So, That's wild. Um, but I think it was worth no, it. worth it. It didn't cost four times as much. Right. So we got a <laughs> tremendous value. <laughs> we just made everybody's lives uh, impossible for yeah, a few years. Yeah, that's fine. There's some family members who are upset about it. I was at a Q&A with you guys earlier in the year where you talked about how Shamik was cast, mm-hmm. but I was wondering if you could tell me about the casting process for everybody else, all the other supporting spider people. And I mean, the lucky thing about voice casting is you get to audition everybody without them knowing it. You so. just take their voice <laughs> yeah. and put it on an image of the character and see if it fits. I mean, the, with Jake, we've worked with Jake many times. He's a, he, we've, we've done a bunch of movies and things together and TV together. So he was our, our first choice and only idea that we had for, for Peter. <laughs> it's a good thing he said yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and with the other ones, it was sort of we would uh, huddle up with the directors and every, people would spitball ideas. And it would be this type of thing where someone would say, well, what about John Mulaney? You're like, yeah. And then you listen to his voice and you're like, I, I mean, it, it's, I can't believe that we thought it could be anything but this. Right. And someone said... <laughs> but that was a real yeah. outlier. Uh, you know, he was outside the bell curve of right. the kinds of folks that we were listening to. Right. And we just felt like we don't want to do a stock choice what mm-hmm. we feel refreshing. Mm-hmm. Same thing when someone said Nick Cage. And we're like, that's crazy, but... I love it. And yeah. then you know, it was one of those things where we all would look at each other and go, yeah, that's the one. And then and it was a really cool, really cool collaborative process on that. So I also had a chance to talk to them about a bunch of spoilery stuff. And I'm not going to play that portion of the audio, but I just want to tease it here on the podcast and actually encourage all of you who are listening to go to the site and read it. I broke that out into a separate article, so you only have to read that one article if you want to. But uh, I talked to them about the decision to make Doc Ock a woman. I talked to them about Oscar Isaac and Chris Pine uh, showing up in, in voice cameos. And uh, some more stuff, too. So uh, and that that final uh, post credits scene and how that all came together. So uh, I would highly encourage everybody to click that link. It's in the show notes, along with a bunch of other stuff that we mentioned. And uh, yeah, that's that's been our big episode. Very cool. This has been a uh, double sized episode of Slash Film Daily. Uh, Brad, where can people find more of your work online? On Twitter, at Ethan underscore Anderton, always writing on SlashFilm.com, and also check out my podcast, Go Flix Yourself, available on iTunes and other podcasting platforms. Ben, where can we find you? You can find me writing at SlashFilm.com, and you can find me on Twitter at Ben Pears. Uh, you can find me at SlashFilm on all social media. 
You can find uh, all the stories we mentioned on today's podcast on SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes. I will include links to Chris's review of the movie, uh, your text interviews with these people, um, and a bunch of stories we've written over the past uh, couple weeks over you know alternate versions of this film that could have been, including Doctor Strange, an Australian Spider-Man, and uh, that video I ta- talked about earlier where uh, Brad posted that has a ton of the Easter eggs hidden in this film and much more. So you can find that in the show notes. Uh, this podcast, Awesome Daily, is usually pub- published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify. But we might be taking a, a holiday break next week. So uh, look out for that. Send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to peter at com. And please head over to our iTunes page, write us a five-star review, say a few lines, spread the word, tell your friends. We'll see you tomorrow.